and welcome to the Rethinking Leadership podcast series. I'm Jude Jennison, host of this podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I believe that leadership is about who we are being as much as what we're doing and that when we combine our brilliant minds with the emotional engagement of the heart, we can solve all of the world's problems. In this podcast, I interview leaders on their experiences of disruptive change and ask them how leaders can position themselves for the future of business. Find out what this week's leader has to say. Jane Ashcroft is the Chief Executive of the Anchor Hanover Group, England's largest not-for-profit provider of housing and care for older people. Jane was awarded a CBE in the 2013 New Year Honours List for services to older people. That's some seven years ago, but as you'll hear, her passion and enthusiasm for older people has definitely not waned. Jane talks about the importance of listening and collaboration as a chief executive and balancing that with clarity, scorecards and compliance. I think that's a tough balance to juggle that she seems to have mastered in her organisation. Have a listen. Hi Jane, thanks for joining me today. It's great to be here, thanks for having me. You have, I think, a really fascinating role as the, as the CEO. Can you tell us who you are and what you do, please? Sure, yeah. So I'm Chief Executive of an organisation called Anchor Hanover. We're the largest provider of care and housing for older people in England um, in the not-for-profit space. That means that we don't have any shareholders. So we're a housing association. And while we do make a profit, we reinvest that profit so we don't have to pay a dividend. And we reinvest so that we can do great new things and try new models of housing and care. Um, We've been around for uh, about 50 years as an organisation. We work in just over 85% of local authority areas in England, so we're pretty much everywhere. The vast majority of what we do is provide uh, retirement housing, so housing for people in later life, which is purpose-built, easy to live in, and has um, a support service on site. So just usually I have great colleagues who just help people to maintain their independence, not a care service, but signposting people, helping to, helping people to live as part of the community. Um, then we also have um, care home provision. So we're one of the 10 largest care home providers in the country. We've got 114 care homes with about 6,000 residents um, providing care predominantly to people living with dementia in later life. And increasingly, we're building models that we call retirement villages or retirement communities. So services, larger sites where people can, as well as buying an apartment, there'll also be leisure and wellbeing facilities on site, um, fantastic um, dining and catering facilities, usually shops, perhaps a GP. So typically a community of a couple of hundred people. Um, So uh, we've got about 50,000 people using our services. The youngest would be in their late 50s. Um, and right through to end of life we've got about 250 people living in our services who are over 100 so I spend a fair amount of time talking to people who've been around a long time and who are very wise and really fascinating that's one of my favorite bits of the job Um, my workforce is about 10,000 people so it's a huge I mean it's a huge organization and the and the depth and breadth of the services that you offer is is enormous because I think people tend to think of the care sector as as you know care, care homes basically and yeah what I'm hearing to with that is there's so much there's so much more that you're doing that that provides 
a level of service in lots of different ways and and you know age is something that hopefully will happen to all of us isn't it yeah it's absolutely the alternative yeah. is, is is less hopeful so <laughs> you know it's a it's a problem that we all need to consider do, do you think it's something that we do consider enough um, no, I think it's really interesting. I've been in the sector for, for a long time. So I've been in this organisation for 20 years and prior to that worked for other organisations in, in ageing and also in the housing sector. That's how I kind of came in. And um, in that time, you know, life expectancy in the UK, as in most of the, the, the world, has increased dramatically. And as you say, that has to be a good thing. Mm. Um, but I think we've still got some quite sort of our, our kind of views as a society haven't necessarily caught up with that. Mm. And um, oftentimes, you know, I, I hear particularly kind of policymakers and, 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 and politicians talk about this ticking time bomb of ageing. And I just think that's that's the wrong. There are challenges associated with longer lives that there's, you know, the physical challenges, but also the economic challenges of how do we make sure that we all generate enough income and savings during our working life to fund the retirement and the later life that we'll want. Um, but there's also huge opportunities in, in longer lives. And I think, you know, occasionally I get the chance to talk to, to ministers and MPs and others and do try to say, you know, this is, <clears throat> this is, is not one side. It's not a one-sided issue. Yes, there is some challenge in longer lives, but there is also some opportunity. So, there's, you know, there's opportunity in terms of this is a sector that's creating a huge amount of jobs. Um, the the grey pound is something that we often talk about in the sector that actually many people in later life do have resources and ambitions and aspirations and people want to go on holiday or have another career or buy a new um, house or, or kind of contribute um, to our, our kind of um, our economic success. And also many, many older people um, are really critical in society and the amount of volunteers who are from that older group mm. of people. Um, so I think it's a whole kind of mind shift that as a, as a society we need to address. And then individually, uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think people do sort of resist the concept of ageing, which in some ways is, is right. You know, it's kind of part of our human spirit is to kind of fight against it. But we do also need to be pragmatic about how are, you know, how are, what are we going to want in our later life? One of the things I'm quite passionate about is that we should think about older people not as them, but as ourselves in a few years time. Yeah. You know, if we try and personalise the, the issues about what does ageing mean and what would we like our later life to be like, then I think that helps to kind of make the debate richer. But I think you're right, your opening point about most people think the only option in later life if you need some support is a care home. And actually, there's a lot more variety of services and options available. And that's one of the things we're really you know, committed to doing in Anchor Hanover is trying to provide choices for people in later life. Care homes are something that some of us may need. And my view is always if I need a care home, I want it to be a really good care home. Yeah. But care homes are, they're like hospitals, you know, it's something you might need and you want a good one. Actually, some of the other, uh, many of our other services are much more about developing services that people would want to move into. And, and most people who are making that choice around our retirement housing services, it's typically kind of mid 70s when people will think, actually, I'd like to live somewhere that's easy to live, that I don't have to worry about the garden, that I've got services available on site. And so people want independence and security, but perhaps just to take some of the hassle away. 
Yeah, I mean, I have a I have a friend who's in his early seventies, and he's just gone into a um, a retirement village, and um, he's never been happier. Yeah, you know, he's he lives he lived on his own. Uh, he doesn't have family in this country. His family are a long way away. And so he he felt that it was really important, and he's you know he's got his own garden that he's tending, mm-hmm. he's engaging with the rest of the community. He's absolutely loving it, and I think that's, it, that's great to hear. And often people say to me when they've lived with us for about a year, people say, "Why did nobody tell me sooner?" Or "Why did nobody make me?" I, I remember quite a sad conversation with a gentleman in his mid eighties, and he'd recently lost his his wife. They moved in together. She was. She was poorly when she moved in with us and they lived in one of our retirement communities. And he said, why did nobody make me do this 10 years ago? We would have had 10 fabulous years. And I think that's the really difficult thing. We do all have to, you know, it's not something that we can do unto others. We need to think about it for ourselves. And our mission is just to try and make sure we're building and operating great stuff and trying to get the word out, really. So, you know, trying to use social media to just show people some of the amazing things that happen. I mean, even over a difficult summer, our care homes this this summer have had a summer of sport. So there was a recognition that obviously there was no Olympics, there was no, you know, most of the things, there was no Wimbledon, the things that people often enjoy watching on TV. And so the care homes, within the constraints of infection control requirements and um, you know, lots and lots of issues about making sure that they were providing safe services. People have had a, a, a ball getting involved in all kinds, some of them quite silly sports. Um, I was in one of our care homes recently and we had a crazy golf game and the staff had made this really clever little crazy golf course in the garden. That's but we brilliant. had a lot of fun, you know, and I think showing people that you can find fun and enjoyment in later life, even at difficult times. Mm. You know, we need to overcome the stereotypes of everything about getting older, being miserable. Yeah, and, and, and on top of that, you're leading a massive organisation that is dispersed all around the, the country. How do you, how do you, how do you lead an organisation like that, Jane? <laughs> I've, I've, worked in, I've worked in large corporates and large organisations before, and I've worked virtually. But we've largely been on specific sites. You know, what I'm mm. hearing is you've got hundreds of sites and yes. 1,000 staff is an enormous number of people to, to lead. How, what kind of a leader are you? Um, well, <laughs> I, I always picture, so I think of the organisation, I think I sit in the middle of a fabulous organization we, we operate from 1700 sites so a site a lot of our sites will be a retirement housing service where there might be sort of 40 or 50 apartments and there will be a local manager um, perhaps a part-time handy person perhaps a cleaner so you know there might be an anchor handover service that's got three people based there and the danger is that they feel incredibly remote from the organization um, and that the organization is just something over there that sends me rules and requirements um, and and of course interestingly though those colleagues work very closely with the the customers that they're servicing so they form part of the little community mm-hmm. um, I think so my I, I kind of my my recognition is that um, I can't I can't have contact with an oversight of everybody in the organisation. Right. It's all about you know my job. I think is well, actually I was I'd been in the organisation for about ten years when I um, applied for and was surprised to get the chief exec job. Delighted but surprised. 
Um, and I remember phoning my mum to tell her that I got the chief exec job. And in true and helpful mother fashion, she said, that's excellent. Congratulations. What does that mean you're going to do? What is a chief executive? <laughs> oh, really? I could send you the job description. It's five pages, but that's not what she meant. And so I think my job is, I think a big part of my job is listening. So the thing that I enjoy about my job and the thing that I think is very important is being out and about in the business, listening to the people who use our services, the people who work in the front line and the people who, um, the, the families and other influencers. So I, in normal times, I love nothing more than going to a housing service. And there's often a coffee morning. Tuesdays are usually good for coffee mornings. And just sitting and having a chat with people and quite quickly, you know, people forget that you're Jane from Anko, Hanover, and you're just, you know, somebody to have a chat with. Mm. Um, and similarly in care homes, it's great to be out and about and listening to residents and relatives and, and colleagues. So I try really hard to listen a lot. I try to listen as well um, sector wide. I'm, I'm pretty collegiate. We're members of lots of things. I'm always keen to hear people's experiences people's thoughts people's plans so I think a big part of my job is listening then I think another bit of my job is talking so it's very much sharing with people particularly colleagues across the organization our vision of the future what we're here for what we're about so we have a very straightforward business plan which talks about four priorities for the organization um, and those are more homes where people love living in later life so that's all about developing more services and it's about those services being homes as it you know just like yours and my home where people want to live and that we're constantly getting better at the services that we provide um, our second more is more opportunities for colleagues this is a, an organization which is about providing services to people so we've got a big property portfolio you know we operate 50,000 units of housing or care and maintaining our properties is an important part of what we do um, so and those 10,000 people are our, our service and our product so making sure we encourage the right people into the organization that we develop those people that we've got a fabulous group of colleagues is absolutely critical so more opportunities for people is our second more um, more influential so we reckon with 50,000 older people using our services we're not a, an advocacy or a lobbying organization but I think too often decisions about older people and older people's services are made without the voice of older people in those debates so we try very hard to encourage and enable um, those 50,000 people if they want to to contribute we certainly listen very hard we've got residence councils and we have um, customer forums on all sorts of issues which are really valuable we try to to put the voice of older people into the debate and our fourth more is about being more efficient so recognizing that we can increasingly use digital opportunities and other ways of reducing reducing costs so that we can add value for our customers because there is a wide range of older customers. Some people, um, affordability is absolutely key, but everybody value for money is key in later life. So we know it's really critical that we're efficient. So we've so our four mores are about more homes, more opportunities for colleagues, more influential and more efficient. And really using those messages and talking to colleagues across the organisation about what that means for them, um, it's kind of a really big part of the job. So I'm an out and about talking to people, 
kind of um, leader, it, which makes working on Zoom and working from home a little bit more challenging for me than would normally, you know, than my normal working pattern, really. Yeah, well, I can imagine because it certainly has been for for all of us, hasn't it? But but yeah. I'm thinking, especially for you, because what I'm hearing in all of that is that, that there's a there's a real sense of that there's a there's a hub with lots of different spokes running off it, yeah. and and that your your approach to it all is very collaborative in style. Um, with, you know, given given that that's the approach that people are talking about in in leadership you know we i think the days of command and control are are gone although there are still pockets of it that, yeah. that exist how do you how do you equip and skill the workforce to to work with you in that way um i think to some extent people drawn into this kind of work are engaged and engaging in many ways um i mean i should probably also when i talked about kind of leadership style and approach i think that the use of kind of kpis and dashboards is also critical in an organization of this size yeah um and as you've described a very dispersed organization the danger is not having those early warning triggers if yeah. there are areas of concern so really effective use of, of a wide range and you know we've been very kind of balanced scorecard for years in the organization and colleague engagement is one of our critical kpis something we monitor on a really regular basis is that 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 piece about people feeling engaged and giving their their effort on that basis and therefore delivering on the business plan so i think the I mean, one of the great tools in recent years for us in terms of improving communication and enabling people, colleagues to feel part of the business have been things like Workplace. Workplace is a Facebook product. It's like Facebook, but inside an organisation. Yeah. We use those kind of channels because a, a large proportion of my colleagues in the organisation don't need an anchor Hanover email address. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is very much... Um, you know particularly people working in frontline care and their job doesn't involve sitting in front of um, a computer a laptop at any point in the day so actually the use of um, the kind of technology that we all have you know the smartphone and those kind of things as part of the underpinning communication and helping people feel part of a team that's really important um, I mean it's an interesting sector because we are quite highly regulated so you're you're absolutely right our style is not at all command and control but our our ability to demonstrate compliance is critical yeah you know um, and i think there's a really interesting um conundrum there isn't there in terms of often collaborative people think of well let's just sit around a table and all discuss it until we come up to a come to a conclusion but for for me collaborative is what what you've just described in that you have you still have to have your scorecards and and to be yeah. super clear that everybody's going in the same direction and and compliance yeah. as you say is obviously going to be a critical part of that because if you haven't got everybody lined up in the in the right direction then collaboration just looks like, no. like chaos doesn't it absolutely and you know equally um you can't run an organization on on this kind of scale 
um, as a as a democracy where everybody votes on everything. So yeah. I think you know my point, my opening point about listening. The reason I'm out listening and listening all the time is partly because I'm you know nosy and I love people and all those kind of things, but also because when decisions need to be made, I think it's really important that when I'm sitting with my exec or in the boardroom, that the things that are influencing our decision making are both that that mixture of dashboards and KPIs and the things that we've all heard and experienced when we've been out and about around around the organisation, so that we can be agile and we can make quick decisions. And we can move forward with pace because if if we had to wait for ten thousand colleagues and fifty thousand customers before we we made decisions, then we'd never get anything done. So yeah. I, I talk a lot in the organisation about grip and pace, mm-hmm. um, particularly with my kind of senior leaders. That those are we have to be good at both of those things in order to deliver what the organization is all about. So we have to have a really good grip on the basics and we have to know that things are working and those uh, all of the time, that there isn't um, you know, a failure rate built into anything. So that's where the KPIs come in. That's where, whether it's about our regulatory compliance, whether it's about our financial position, all of those things, we have to have a really clear grip on those. And then PACE is about, I suppose that's my, the way I talk about change really is understanding the pace at which we can move forward with things and making sure that we do move with with the appropriate amount of of pace because I think when people are having to cope with change actually often prolonging that change just makes it even more difficult for people so if you've got the right grip on things and you've got the right metrics and you've got a good understanding of what's happening in your business and what's happening in for your consumers more widely and in the sector then when you do a piece of work that identifies something needs to change, you need to move forward with a degree of pace around that change. Right, I love that. I love that idea of grip and pace. Um, changing tack slightly, um, I know from previous conversations that we've had, you're passionate about ageism in the workplace. Can you share with us your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, um, you know, diversity and inclusivity are really important in the, in my organisation, as they are for all of us who are trying to, to lead organisations at the moment, I'm sure. And I, I do, it frustrates me that often age is an area of diversity and inclusivity, that it's still acceptable to carry stereotypes and make judgments, which, which are just wrong. <laughs> um, you know, it's an area where we still, you know, I, I heard somebody... Um, in my family actually the other week talking about somebody as oh well you know she's a bit of an uh, he's actually it was he's a bit of an old woman and you just have to deconstruct that sentence say hang on a minute there are that is laden with assumptions and stereotypes um and i I think it is as as i said earlier you know everybody's experience of aging is different Mm. um we can't assume what will happen to us at any point in the future um and it's a huge lost opportunity if we don't recognise what, what older people, and hopefully we as older people, for me, in the not too distant future, can contribute. So I think, I mean, I think it is an area where we've made progress. I think um, it will be really interesting to see um, how we move forward, you know, the economic reverberations of the pandemic and some of the assumptions around the future. I worry when I hear sometimes in the media a kind of argument about, well, we can't afford to do things for older people and younger people. We must prioritise younger people. I don't think, I, I think that's a really um, artificial debate that sometimes happens because mm. I, my experience is most people, whether this is 
people who use our so older people who use our services most people don't think about themselves from a generational point of view they think about the people they care about and their families so you know one of my um, really profound experiences a couple of years ago was going to a hundredth birthday party and sitting with the lady who was celebrating her hundredth birthday and her family and she had a son who was kind of um, 80-ish had recently retired he worked for us we've not had a retirement age for donkey's years so we've got lots of colleagues over over 70 in the business uh, so he was 80 he just had a hip replacement and he'd lost his partner and he was probably frailer than his 100 year old mum to be honest his daughter who was kind of 50-ish um, was there her daughter who was mid-20s and her little one who was about 18 months old and I just looked around this table we were eating fish and chips because that's what our 100 year old lady <laughs> wanted for her lunch she was a bit late because she'd been to a keep fit class that morning and I just looked around the table at five generations of people and thought you know I, I often I look at the charts about longevity and the shape of our our um, demographics and the growth of people over 85 which is the fastest growing group in the UK at the moment and those things are fascinating on a graph but the reality of sitting around with five generations of people does just show the, the difference that a, a longer living um, dem society makes because I suppose I identified to some extent with the 50 year old in the middle um, and she had two generations above her um, that she was trying to support and she was doing childcare for her daughter so her daughter could go back to work and she was looking after the little one and you just think actually a five generation family 20 years ago 30 years ago would have been relatively rare we see that more and more now and I think you know um, and obviously families have changed shape. A lot of us live without, I don't have children. So I don't think, I, I haven't got children who are gonna look after me in later life. I can think differently than some of my friends who do have kids and now have got grandchildren and they have to, they're thinking about how equity will pass b between the generations, how they'll make sure that everybody's got somewhere safe to live, what they're gonna do about making sure the youngsters are properly educated it's it requires us to think very differently i think across a whole range of issues not just will there be a care home for me or should i move into a retirement village but you know it is about pension policy and how long do you work for and now i'm kind of assuming i'll have several careers along the way really because i can't imagine that i'll get to a point where i won't really want to do anything although i'm sure i won't be doing this full-on job you know mm -hmm. for the next 20 years so yeah. I think we're in a really interesting period of lots of change and I, I suppose my passion is about making sure that the fact we're living longer is not just seen as a problem it's also seen as a fabulous opportunity. Well and I think I think it is it is a fabulous opportunity and I think what it demonstrates is that it's that um, age-old cliche of one size doesn't fit all in that everybody's everybody's view of the workplace and what they want is is based on yeah. so many different things isn't it it's depend on dependent on whether they've got aging parents or young children yeah. or and where their priorities are and, and so on and you know i know i know some people who can't wait to retire at 55 and and i personally don't ever want to retire i can i can see unlike you i don't think i'll be doing the same thing that i'm i'm doing now when i'm 85 but i definitely will be doing something yeah. Um, and as I said, you know, we've got a couple of hundred colleagues in our workforce who are over 70 um, people working part time, people who enjoy the flexibility of what they do and enjoy, you know, making a contribution. And that that's a huge 
positive. And we've also got a very strong apprentice programme. So we've got a couple of hundred apprentices and we're starting to see that programme bearing fabulous fruit. So people moving into managerial positions from the apprenticeship scheme. And I, I think that's that's really healthy for an organisation to to have that full range. Well, it, it's part of that that diversity of thinking that we need around all all aspects whether it's gender or whether it's ethnicity we also need diversity around age in our workforces well yeah because what what was just coming up for me then as you were talking was that 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 age-old challenge that so many organizations have around how do you keep all the different different generations happy and contented in the workplace and how do you create that collaboration and and the diversity of thinking without it coming to blows. And, and, I, and I imagine that comes back to your style of collaboration and, and listening is going to be crucial because what a, what a 16 year old wants is going to be very different from what somebody in their 80s wants, isn't it? You know, in terms of, of what they're wanting in the workplace and, and in terms of life experience and their approach to maybe use of technology and, um, well, yes and no. So I think yes, in terms of what people's priorities are, they can obviously move around a lot. So, and we try to make sure that our reward package, our benefits have a degree of flexibility so people can make choices about what matters at that point in time. Um, but also I do think, I mean, if I think around the green agenda, there's a huge amount, there's huge interest amongst our consumer group in the green agenda. There are lots of people in there. You know, so we've got a, um, a resident group, a, a number of customers who are involved in helping us to think about green issues. And some of that is very driven about concern for the future of the planet. And some of it is driven from things, people's experiences of being efficient and effective with use of resources and really good experience about that. And that works, they work really closely with some of our younger colleagues, actually, who are passionate about green issues. So oftentimes you can find that age is an irrelevance because people have a shared agenda or a shared area of interest. And, you know, green something and ESG issues are very high in my mind at the moment. But there's a whole range of other issues where I see lovely relationships between people of wildly different ages, but because they're all passionate about Oh, you know, whether it's sewing or reading or <laughs> we've got a great guy who lives in one of our services who is passionate about physical activity and being fit. His, his name's Terry Keen. And I always say he's keen by name and keen by nature. <laughs> and um, so Terry lives in one of our housing services and he's been involved in a project we put together around trying to encourage everybody to just think a bit about physical fitness and well-being. And we've got a programme which we run with um, Sport England called 10 Today. And um, so we've got a series of YouTube videos of exercises that people can do that take 10 minutes a day. You can do them chair-based if you don't have great mobility, but you still want to make sure that you're keeping everything moving. Um, and that's been a really lovely, so Terry's worked with some young colleagues in the organisation to create this YouTube channel and these videos. It's been great, picked up at BBC Sounds are running it as a podcast and all kinds of stuff. But that's about a passion, a group of people who've got a passion around well-being and, and physical activity. And some of them are in their 20s and some of them are in their 70s, but they've got that kind of shared interest. So I think from an employment point of view, what we've learned is we do need to be really flexible um, and understand that different issues will matter to people at different stages in their lives. So to offer as much flexibility as we can 
is one of the things I think that organisations are going to have to to grapple with and, and we're all going to have to think more about going forwards. I really love that. I love that idea because what, what that says to me is that people can come together around a, a common area of, of interest and and when there's when there's passion and, and interest, people do great, great things. And I think what well, that shifts the you know, organizations from places where everyone comes and just does a just does their job and goes home again to a place where there's an opportunity to align your personal passion yeah. with a passion within the business and and that maybe that's a way that we can all start to think about how do we do more of that in the workplace whatever workplace people are in how do people do more of that so that yeah. everybody gets to feel their voices heard and needed yeah. and valued and and actually live a sense of purpose I'm a big fan of the kind of, you know, bring your whole self to work. Mm. And um, I think that's, I mean, I started my career working in uh, in HR and I, I think I learned early on that I'd, I'd find out about people and the things they did outside the workplace and think that's amazing. And I had, you know, at work, we don't necessarily see that aspect and recognising that people can bring their uh, their external skills and passions and and that's important too in terms of transferable skills and when we're recruiting people it's not all about qualifications and prior experience um you know we try very hard to recruit people into our organization who may not have worked in this sector before it's not necessarily a sexy sector you know there's not many people who at the age of eight have a sudden realization they want to work in aging they might realize they want to be a you know a pilot or a or loads of other things but um aging is not a sector that calls out to people but what we try to do is make sure we draw on it really widely when we're recruiting because we do want that kind of diversity of, of experience and passions um and then we have really you know we have very strong sort of training and development programs to give people the skills so that they they're, they're confident and competent to, to deliver mm. but that um it is a sector that one of the positives I think about working in the care sector is there aren't there aren't huge barriers to entry. Often the barriers to people joining the sector are more in their minds and in their probably outdated perceptions of what the sector is like rather than the, the sector itself, which is a very welcoming place. And lots, I mean, I fell into this sector by accident. I, I started life thinking I wanted to be a teacher. I was on a graduate training scheme in the electricity industry. You know, th this wasn't a plan, um, but I kind of fell into this sector and, and just loved it because I find it really fascinating, um, really invigorating, and a sector that's changing a lot at the moment, quite perhaps surprisingly, you know, the opportunities around ageing, um, that there's lots of investment in the sector, really big um, organisations, lots of patient capital that sort of look at the demographics, look at the opportunities, and want to do new stuff. So it, it is a, it, it's a fun sector to work in at the moment, and that's probably not the perception, and I'm not meaning at all to... <laughs> You know, belittle the fact it's it's a check a sector that has had its challenges. Mm. Um, but overall, I mean, what I usually say to new starters if I when I get a chance to meet people is, this is um th these kind of jobs are the jobs that will change people's lives. So if you do a great job, then you'll change people's life incredibly. And if we get it wrong, then it really changes people's lives in a bad way. Mm. And that puts an imperative around us doing the right thing, which I think sort of sits at the heart of the organisation really. Jane, 
Thank you so much. You're doing some of the most important work I think on the on the planet, and it's and it's um, you know it's not it's not always valued enough. So thank you for for talking today about it and bringing your passion and energy. It certainly inspired me um, and and encouraged me to think about aging in a different way. So thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure, and it's always I love to talk about what my amazing colleagues do. So they're the ones that are doing the heavy lifting. I think my job is just a privilege sitting in the middle of them, and I love talking about it. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Jane has encouraged me to think differently about ageing, both in the workplace and for me personally. I think she was so inspiring in her ideas. I enjoyed hearing about her grip and pace approach, the idea that we need to have a grip on the basics and approach change with the appropriate pace. And I was struck by the idea that a diverse workforce that spans four or five generations can work collaboratively together if they have a shared passion and listen to each other's points of view. I think that's so crucial. How do you find the balance between scorecards, compliance and collaborative thinking? And how do you encourage diversity of thought as the basis for getting results? That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature helping leaders and teams lead with courage and compassion to accelerate growth in a way that makes a difference in the world. You can find out more at www.judejennison.com and you can find me on all the usual social media channels. Until next week, keep leading and I'll be back soon with another interview on Rethinking Leadership. Mm -hmm.